What does it mean to be content? Content. Uh, that's out of my vocabulary. Ooh, what does it mean to be content? Contentment. I don't know. Just to be satisfied. I guess being satisfied with something. Find, uh, I guess, an inner peace with yourself. Being uh, happy with who you are. Not let your wants outweigh what you have. I guess it means to be happy. Not really want anything else, I guess. Uh, I guess it means um, all right with what, how you are. Being okay with what's going on. Not necessarily being uh, entirely happy about it, like having a positive sense, but also not having a negative sense. You're not worried about um, what other people think about you. Contentment is having the Lord on your side. Are you a content person? Am I content? No, I don't think I'm content. No, I'm not content. No, I don't think I'm very content. <laughs> I don't think I'm very content, actually. Some days, you know, I'm happier than others. Are you content with your life? Not at the moment. Mm, sometimes. I would consider myself a very content person. I'd say I am, yeah. I think I could be a better person sometimes. Is there anything that could happen to make you more content with your life? There's always things that can make you more content with your life. Probably just more money right now. Finding a... I guess this perfect soulmate and all those, you know, stereotypical things. Get a good job, provide for my daughter and myself without having to rely on everybody else. What is your source of contentment? Uh, just feeling complete in myself. Try to keep a positive outlook. That makes me content. Having my bills paid makes it a lot easier to be content. Some material possession, so. What's the source of your contentment? I suppose my mother. Just following my emotions, sort of a transcendentalist, romanticist. Why do you think most people are not content with their lives? I have no clue. I don't know, there's just something missing, I guess. Honestly, I mean, I think that they're searching. We live in a materialistic society, and everybody thinks that when they get the bigger car, or the bigger house, or the nicer pool, they're going to be happy. Everybody's reaching for something. Got to have money, got to have looks, got to have all these things. People want more, they're more money, better cars, bigger houses. People don't really have a purpose, like a reason to get up in the morning. They don't have Jesus. They are uh, searching for something to fill that, that void, and uh, they're not going to find it. I think a lot of people need um, Jesus just for the fulfillment in their lives. They try to fill their lives with so many so many things that just don't fill the void. Could be music, could be drugs, could be anything. And... Uh, there's no otherworldly peace that they can have. You're never going to have that satisfaction, that fulfillment, unless you have him. He is um, a lot of the contentment that people are looking for. Are you content this morning? <laughs> Crickets. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Did you guys hear that Cindy Apple's bee's birthday is tomorrow? Just kidding. I guess it really is, though. I guess I'm not kidding. Hey, um, I put my big foot in my mouth last week, and... Um, by the way, did you guys know that, that your feet grow as you get older? Is something I just learned recently, and yeah, just a little trivia to share this morning. I noticed that my feet weren't quite fitting in my shoes, and I 
somebody gave me some boots that are size 13. I actually normally wear a 12, and uh, the 13s fit me just fine now. So I don't know what's up with that. But I put my 13, size 13, in my mouth last week, and in the attempt to commend all of you for coming here in person on Sunday morning, um, I, I, I blew it with those of you who are watching online. So we're so glad that you're here. We're so glad for everyone who participates. And I apologize for what, it, what I said, and I'll pull my foot out now. Hey, let me ask you a question this morning since, uh, since you were crickets on the question of, uh, you know, are you content? Let me ask you this. What, what would it take for you to be content? What would it take for you to be content? How much is really enough? What would cause you to be truly content with what you have and where you are in your life? Uh, I imagine most of you didn't happen to catch Jim Carrey's comments at the 2016 Golden Globe Awards, but uh, check this out. Listen carefully to what he says. Thank you. I am two-time Golden Globe winner Jim Carrey. You know, when I go to sleep at night, I'm not just a guy going to sleep. I'm two-time Golden Globe winner Jim Carrey going to get some well-needed shut-eye. And when I dream, I don't just dream any old dream. No, sir. I dream about being three-time Golden Globe winning actor Jim Carrey. Because then I would be enough. It would finally be true. And I could stop this this terrible search. For what I know ultimately won't fulfill me. But these are important, these awards. I don't want you to think that just because if you blew up our solar system alone, you wouldn't be able to find us or any of human history with the naked eye. But from our perspective, this is huge. One more time, here are the nominees for Best Motion Picture Comedy. The Big Short. wonder if you noticed as the camera panned the faces of all those well-dressed actors and actresses uh, that it seemed like, at least for some, his words rang truer than they would be comfortable admitting. Uh, if a Golden Globe or three and all that goes with it won't satisfy us, won't make us content, what will? And so again, I ask, how much is enough? What would make you content? If we're honest, uh, we'd probably respond similarly to the way John D. Rockefeller did. Rockefeller was the founder of the Standard Oil Company who became, in his time, one of the wealthiest men in the world. And someone once asked him, Mr. Rockefeller, how much money is enough money? Uh, to which he replied, 
just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. What do you think? Do you, do you agree? I mean, I think most of us would say, uh, if I could just land that job, get that house, live in that neighborhood, drive that car, marry that man or that woman, be, be part of that circle of friends, win that award, I'd be content. Really? Uh, would you? No, you wouldn't. How can I say that so definitively? Because contentment has nothing to do with your net worth. It's not a function of your financial bottom line. Our culture, as we've seen already a couple times in this series, keeps us laser-focused on what we don't have and what we think we need. And the advertising industry makes its fortune keeping us in constant state of discontentment. The Bible actually has a lot to say about money and material possessions, and yes, even contentment. We've been talking about money in this series, and what I want you to know as we venture into this, uh, and uh, what I want to say once again is that when it comes to what the Bible has to say about money and your stuff, it's not all about what God wants from you. Instead, it's all about what God wants for you. Things like freedom and joy and peace and, yes, contentment. So we're going to look at God's Word together this morning. In the sixth chapter of his first letter to Timothy, Paul had a bunch to say about this elusive attitude called contentment. So let's stand and read God's Word together aloud. First Timothy 6, 6 through 12. But godliness and with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. This is God's word. You may be seated. Well, the first thing that Paul wanted Timothy to know and what God wants us to understand this morning is that godliness with contentment, godliness with contentment is great gain. Contentment begins with an appropriate heart response to the generous heart of God. Let me just repeat that. Contentment begins with an appropriate heart response to the generous heart of God. And that response is what's actually contained in this word godliness. It literally means to worship well. To be a godly person is to be one who is getting to know the heart and the mind and the character of God 
and who on that basis is responding in enthusiastic worship from a sincere and grateful heart and resting, resting in his provision. That second word, contentment, is the the peaceful awareness that, that God has provided you with everything you really need in life. David, the shepherd king of Israel, perfectly captured these two thoughts in the first verse of the 23rd Psalm when he wrote, Because the Lord is my shepherd, because the Lord is my shepherd, I have everything I need. You know, when we pause and meditate on that statement, hopefully, we realize that genuine contentment is one of the highest possible expressions of worship. We're good at telling ourselves that contentment is just beyond our reach, that if we had just a little bit more, we would finally be content. Christian financial advisor Ron Blue had this to say about that, having the cash to buy or to do whatever you please does not guarantee contentment, nor do wise investments, meticulous budgets, or debt-free living. All these things are valuable. But the one ingredient that makes true freedom possible is generosity. The content person is one who can be separated from her possessions without being undone. That's, That's a great definition right there. Consequently, she does not have to live in fear of loss. And the only way to cultivate this attitude is to be separated from your possessions voluntarily. Voluntarily, that is, to give them away. The person who always wants more is never happy with what she has. But the generous person's happiness is not tied to the amount of money in her wallet. That's contentment. So generosity is not only the key to financial freedom, as we saw last week. It's also the key to contentment. God gives us this promise in his word, Proverbs 28, 27, He who gives to the poor will lack nothing. Paul goes on in verse 7 of 1 Timothy 6 and says, For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. Have you ever seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul? Apparently it happens. But note the irony. I heard about a real estate agent in Arizona who had, by all appearances, become very wealthy. He lived in a big, beautiful home. He drove a really, really nice car. He was spending and investing a lot of money without thinking about where it was going. And one day it dawned on him that he personally had no idea where he was actually at financially, what what he had or what he didn't have. So he called together his attorney and his financial advisor to go over his portfolio and to determine his net worth. And in the course of that conversation and through many calculations, he discovered to his dismay that his net worth was actually negative $10,000. short time later, he went to the home of some friends who had had a baby, and and the thought occurred to him that their 
ba- that that baby was actually worth more than he was because the baby came into the world at net zero and he himself was at negative 10,000. So Paul finishes his thought in verse 8. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. So contentment begins with an appropriate heart response to the generous heart of God. It's an expression of worship. Contentment uh, loosens our grip on money and on stuff and says to God, God, I am trusting you to provide for me exactly what you intend for me because I know that you love me. In verses 9 and 10, Paul goes on and explains why it's so important to choose contentment. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Notice that. He says people who want to get rich fall into three things. The first one is what? Temptation. Temptation. If I have this much, then I can do that thing. What's the second? It's it's a snare. And a snare is one of those kinds of traps that you don't even, the animal doesn't even see it until they're in it. And they're dead. There's no way out. Third, they fall into what? Many senseless and harmful desires that plunge them into what? Ruin and destruction. Ruin and destruction. How many of you know what the number one cause of divorce in America is today? It's conflict over money. How many of you know what Americans report as the number one source of stress and anxiety in their lives? It's money. We are the wealthiest nation in the world. And at the same time, we are the most stressed out when it comes to money. Many of you uh, already know this, but there's a little. here's a little secret you can use on those days when you're not feeling good about yourself, when you're bored or lonely. What do you think it is? Here it is. Go buy something. Go buy something. Go engage in a little retail therapy. Why does it work? Scientists say that in the lead up to buying something, something that you like, something that you really desire, you experience a chemical reaction in your brain. You get this rush of dopamine, a little bit of euphoric bliss. They also say that that euphoric feeling only lasts about 56 minutes. I mean, how, do, how do they come up with those kinds of numbers? Why don't they just say an hour? What's wrong with them? At the end, they're like, meh, because while you're in it, it's awesome. So maybe you go out and do it again. You kick your brain with another little dopamine shower and get another 56-minute high. Understand this, that there's a, a chemistry behind what we might call a spending addiction. It's, it's actually an addiction to dopamine. 
You're actually a drug addict. By the way, there's a key to managing this addiction. It's to walk away and come back tomorrow. Why does that work? It works because on your second visit, you won't get quite the rush. And, and the purchase will look and feel different to you. But then in about four weeks, if you actually make the purchase, a little friend is going to come and visit you. Uh, he'll meet you at the mailbox. His name is Bill. We don't like Bill very much. He's not really welcome in our homes. But he comes anyway. Bill and his kind have a way of doing that. So so now you're going through the bills. You're stressing out. Uh, maybe arguing over the expenditures. And so to release the tension in your home, you make a faithful agreement. Look, let's just make the minimum payment that the credit card company will allow. And the argument may end, but then the pain begins. So let's say you you bought a television for $1,000 and you charged it to your credit card. You couldn't really afford it, but that dopamine rush you experienced while you were looking at it persuaded you that you had to have it. And let's just say that you didn't make any additional purchases on your card. If you were only to make the minimum payments, it would take you almost seven years to pay off that television. The average credit card interest rate this week is 16.5%. One one percent. I I checked it out. The national average credit annual percentage rate rose on Wednesday to its highest point in nearly nine months. But for the purpose of a good round number, let's just use 15 because I'm not very good at math and I like to keep things simple. If your annual percentage rate is 15%, the interest that accrues on a monthly basis over those seven years will cost you an additional $580. So your $1,000 TV actually cost you $1,580, seven years, and a lot of inconvenience. How much sense does that make? But that's how many of us operate. Many, many, many Americans operate this way. Lots of bling, bling, but an empty bank account and even deeper debt. In Texas, they say, big hat, no horse. And notice what Paul says next is is that the desire to be rich is not only financially dangerous, it's also spiritually dangerous. He says in the first part of verse 10, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. Now check what he's saying here because this verse in particular is often misstated and misrepresented. I mean, how do you usually hear it? The love of money is the root of all evil, right? That's that's what you hear. But that's not what it says. It says that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. See, money itself isn't evil. Money itself is a it's morally neutral. It's it's an innocent party, if you will. It's people who are evil. Back in the 16th century, reformer John Calvin said, man's nature, so to speak, is a perpetual factory of idols. And the love of money is one of them. 
It's not sinful to have money. It's not sinful to have a lot of money. There are many people who are wealthy for whom money is not an idol. At the same time, there are, in fact, many who are poor for whom money and stuff are idols. Again, it's all about your heart. It's a heart issue. I believe that God wants you and me to have some money so that we can live, so that we can share, so that we can put it to use to influence the world with the gospel. If you don't, if you can't pay your bills, if you don't have a place to live, if you can't put food on the table, it's nearly impossible to do much of any of that. The desire to get rich is also the enemy of generosity. And again, financial advisor Ron Blue said this, that my experience has been that prosperity has led Christians to fear loss. Furthermore, the fear of loss has led to a loss of faith. The more we have, the tighter we grip it. The tighter we grip it, the more things like economic downturns scare us to death. Whatever you think about the most is what you love. It's what you worship. It's an idol. And when it's money, you're setting yourself up for ruin and destruction, he says. The desire to get rich is also an enemy to spiritual growth and health. In the first part of verse 10, Paul says, It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. We might add that the desire to get rich is also the enemy of financial peace, because when money is your idol, when it becomes your God, you're already, you are already wandering from the faith. Have you considered that your discontentment is idolatry, it's adultery, it's an affront to God? You might think of your credit card as a knife and imagine stabbing yourself and your family to death with it. Take a look back at 1 Timothy 6.10. Paul says, It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves, pierced themselves with many pangs. And the word pangs means pain. It means sorrow. It means intense emotional anguish. It means consuming grief. We're talking about stuff that's potentially lethal to our emotional and spiritual well-being and the well-being of our families. And so you and I need to stop looking. If we're looking for contentment in stuff, we need to stop looking there and start looking for it in the giver, in God. Before I wrap this up, I want to give you four powerful words that can set you free. Four words that if you practice them will lead to financial freedom. Four words that will give you peace of mind. Four words that will take you to a place in your life that you didn't think possible. How many of you want to know what they are? Some of you. Some of you just don't give a rest. Some of you are sleeping. Go ahead, snooze. You really want to know? Are you ready to receive them? Are you waiting in eager anticipation for these four words? 
And here they are. I can't afford it. I can't afford it. Repeat it out loud with me. I can't afford it. Again, I can't afford it. So you need to get used to saying that. One of the four of the best words you can say to your children to teach them about contentment. Some of us feel uncomfortable saying that. Some of us feel like we shouldn't have to. Our our culture tells us there's something wrong with having to say those words. I saw a sign once that, that read, don't say I can't afford it. Instead ask, how can I afford it? You can do this, they'll tell you. It's okay, it's healthy. After all, you deserve this. And when you're headed that direction and when people are saying things like that to you, be careful. Keep a watch on your credit card. I want to recommend seven goals that each of us can reach over 90 days or more if we want to pursue financial freedom. And these these are these are free, okay? Seven things. One, establish a working home budget. My wife is great at this. I'm terrible at this. But I'm so glad she's great at it. <laughs> Usually in every marriage, there's there's an organized one and one that's less. But if you establish a working home budget, you're, you're going to keep track of what's coming in, and then you're going to plan effectively for what's going to go out. You'll, you'll never get ahead financially unless you spend less than you make, right? Simple math. But the average American 40 years of age and younger is spending 118% of their annual income. You can't get ahead when you're constantly falling behind. Secondly, obtain obtain a sizable life insurance policy appropriate to the needs of your family. It's especially important if you're the primary or sole breadwinner. Because if something happens to you, your family is going to be in a difficult way. Next, obtain a will. Obtain a will. You don't have to go and hire an expensive attorney to do that. You can get the forms at Office Depot for under $35. And that will get you started. It's better than nothing. But obtain a will. Get it notarized. Next, establish a direct deposit from your paycheck into your savings account. Just make an advanced decision about a certain amount or a certain percentage that you're going to save and direct your bank to make that deposit for you. Next, and here's something that most of us actually don't have, and that is to establish at least one month's reserve in cash. One month's reserve that you can get to easily You can get to it quickly if you need it, if something happens. Not not if you've got a TV you want to buy, (laughs) but somebody loses their job, income falters in some way, you you can get to that quickly. And, and in fact, um, a guy like Dave Ramsey would say three months or maybe even six months um, available cash in reserve. 
obtain health and disability insurance if you don't have it. Again, take care of your family by taking care of yourself. And then enroll in a course. I mentioned Dave Ramsey. Enroll in a course like Financial Peace University. I hope that we can offer this again here at LifePoint in the near future. Some of you are are in debt this morning, and as a result, it feels like you can... Um, you can't be generous, and, and you need a plan to help you climb out of that hole that you've dug for yourself. All right, let, let's land this plane. That, that was just, those were just free, but let's land this plane. Let's go back one more time to First Timothy 6. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness, fight the good fight of the faith, Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Here in verses 11 and 12, Paul instructs Timothy to do four things. The first one is he says, flee. Well, what does flee mean? It's a little insect that gets in your dog's hair. No, it means run away. It means run away. Run, run away from an idolatrous, adulterous affair with money. Run away from the idea that money will provide you with contentment. Second, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness, he says. In other words, pursue godly character. Run toward the idea that God will supply all of your needs as you pursue him and pursue the things that are really on his heart, the things that he is most willing to finance in your life. Missionary Hudson Taylor is famous for having said, God's will done God's way will never lack for God's supply. If you're pursuing the kingdom of God and his righteousness and pursuing the priorities of the kingdom, God is very willing to finance that. To be godly is to be a giver because God is the original giver. He is exhibit A when it comes to sacrificial giving. Third, he says, fight the good fight of faith. There is no easy button for any of these things. You are the one who has to fight the good fight, and it will be a struggle. He will enable you. He will empower you. But he calls you to be engaged in the fight because our culture is fighting against us, keeping us laser-focused on what we don't have, driving us toward discontentment. Fourth, he says, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, the eternal life to which you were called. See, if you've believed in Jesus Christ as your only, as your personal Savior, you have eternal life. Paul is, is not suggesting here that generosity is an alternate pathway to salvation. He's saying, now take hold of what you have already been given. Step into the fullness of the experience of the abundant life that Jesus came to give you. Experience the life that God intends for you. And in verses 18 to 19, he says that that life, the life that is truly life, is a life rich in good deeds, in generosity, and in sharing. Well, we're here at the end now, but let me just ask you several questions. The first one is this. Who's responsible 
for your contentment? Who's responsible for your contentment? The answer is that you are. You are. God has provided abundant wisdom on this subject in his word. And he's let us know that generosity is the key that unlocks the door to financial freedom. It's also one of the keys to contentment. Next question. What would it be like for you to experience financial freedom, maybe for the first time in your life? Remember that financial freedom, again, has nothing to do with the amount of your income, but what you choose to do or not do with it. Next question, what would our church be like if each of us was financially free? What would this place be like? What could our marriages be like if we got on the same page and disagreements about money were less common and less frequent? What kind of peace of mind might we experience? What what could we do collectively if, if we were to get out of debt and be really free to direct our resources toward things that matter for the kingdom of God? What could the church do? And by church, I mean the church at large. What could the church do in the world to solve problems like starvation and lack of water and AIDS and cancer and COVID-19 and all kinds of other chronic illnesses? What could we do to alert people everywhere to the fact that the return of Jesus Christ is imminent and to introduce them to a life-transforming relationship with God through personal faith in Jesus Christ? See, that the church is waiting for its people to be financially free, for its people to arrive at contentment so that they're free to give to the priorities of the kingdom of God. You know, one of God's great desires for you is that you be financially free. Choosing godly contentment is essential to reaching that goal. And I think God's been speaking into your life this morning, some of you. I'm asking you today to to take a step of obedience. Whatever it was that God was speaking into your life, to take that step of obedience in the direction in which he is leading you. Let's pray together. Lord God, thank you that you are a generous God. Thank you that you gave freely. You gave us your son. You gave us your spirit. You gave us extended grace and mercy toward us in Christ. You gave us your Holy Spirit to take up residence inside us and and allow us to enable us to live a a godly life to become more and more like Jesus. You gave us the gift of the forgiveness of our sins and you robed us in the righteousness of Christ. And you've given us the confidence of eternal life. 
understanding that this life is not all there is. This is just a preamble to the real deal. So, Lord, teach us to live that way. Teach us to live that way. To live for eternity and not for time. Lord, I can hardly imagine uh, all the things that you have spoken into individual lives this morning. But I pray, Lord, that you would enable each one to be obedient to that thing that you've shown them that you want them to do. And may we, Lord, be honoring to you. May we be godly in the sense of being good worshipers, especially as it relates to our stuff. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.